to get naked? I'm Kimberly Kane, and you're listening to The Naked Vibe Show, where you'll hear conversations with artists, musicians, healers, lovemakers, world shakers of all kinds, and get some great ideas for tuning your own creativity and intuition so that you can use them in very practical ways to live a life of excellence and joy and purpose. Today's show is sponsored by Rocket University, where you'll find rhythmic movement meditations that can create subtle yet powerful shifts in your energy. This is an audio download of nine meditations using drum rhythms that take you on a journey from a slow, deep groove that creates a peaceful strength, reducing stress and connecting you to your powerful primal senses, to a high energy rhythm that gets your juices flowing so you can use that strength to experience greater vitality, courage, drive, and passion in every area of your life. You'll find a link for these rhythmic movement meditations in the show notes on nakedvibes.com. Are you ready to get naked? I'm Kimberly Kane, and this is the Naked Vibe Show, and I'm here today with drummer and percussionist Dale Baker. You may know him for his work with the band Sixpence None the Richer, among others. Dale has played drums with my sister Kelly and me in Frankly Scarlet. He played with us for years, and now he has turned singer-songwriter to add to his roster of talents with his first solo project, The Maudlin Fee. So we've got some of Dale's new music to listen to. We've got some juicy conversation to dig into. So, hey, Dale. (laughs) Hey, Kim. How's it going? Good. I'm so happy to talk with you today. This is going to be so much fun. Uh, We agreed when we talked the other day that we could do about 10 podcasts right out of the (laughs) shoot. Oh, yeah. We've got a lot of catching up to do. (laughs) We've got so, so many things that we can bring to the table here. But um, I want to kind of start with you telling me about the maudlin fee. We'll get to some of the other stuff, but let's just right out of the chute. That's the project that you've got on the table right now. And I know you're excited about it. So just tell us something about that. Yeah, well, I've been playing with singer-songwriters for a really long time. And it's a genre that I love and admire and for a really long time, I've thought, what 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 would it be like to be uh, on the other side of the drum set, and you know, what what does it feel like to you know be the lead singer and to play guitar? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of my experiment in um, vulnerability and um, mm. trying out a new new muscle, as it were. You know, like to oh yeah, try um, and uh, and the thing that's more than anything that it's helped me with is just appreciating how hard it is to be, uh, to do what you guys do to, to stand <laughs> up and, and put yourself out there. <laughs> and, uh, so it's a challenge. It's a, it's a really great problem to try and solve like quote unquote problem to solve. And, yeah. um, it's made me, uh, it's re- rejuvenated my interest in music, you know, from having oh, that's great. played and made a living from music for so long. It, like anything else, it just becomes a job after a while. Mm-hmm. And so this project has kind of brought the joy back into making music. Yeah, yeah. And so when I get to do my singer-songwriter thing, that's a lot of fun. And then I also find that I've I've kind of recaptured the joy of just playing drums for, you know, in, in my day job, as it were. That's um, awesome. It's been a good thing. Yeah, you know, I think sometimes, uh, well, I know a lot of times we both know that people don't realize 
how much music is fun. It's a joyful thing. But there's a lot of work that goes into performing and doing it professionally, like with any other job or any other sport or anything like that, that you would want to do at a really high level. And I was just the other night, I was watching some concert footage with Pink and we're talking, the further you go up that rung of entertaining people, the harder you're working. And when you know what goes on behind the scenes, right, you can watch someone perform and say that there is so much work and so much dedication and commitment. Nobody even realizes just how much is going on there. So I, like you, have started playing the drums and we'll get into talking some drums here in a little bit for any of our drum listeners. Uh, But in the same way that you've seen how much work goes into being that front person and the singer songwriter and being there to talk to the audience, I've realized, even though I've been playing percussion for years, partly thanks to you. Um, I started playing the kit just for myself. And it's like, holy cow, this is so physical. It's so awesome. And it's made me realize those guys sitting behind us are working so hard. <laughs> well, and the, you know, the funny thing is like you, you know, being in the entertainment industry, you would think that we would already know this, but uh, <laughs> right. I, I, it, you know, the people that are really good at what they do make it look so easy that you think, oh, yeah. well, any fool could do that, right? Yep. yep. And, and so when you, oh, yeah. when you try that out and you realize, wait, this isn't coming as easy to me as I thought it would because they make right. it look so damn easy, right? Right, and, right. Uh, and, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's the, that's, the, that's the magic trick that is entertainment. It's like, it's yes. supposed to look effortless. You know, it's supposed to look like you rolled out of bed and just, hey, I'm going to write a song today. But you right. realize that... It, it it takes a lot of work to get good at that. And that's uh, right. Yeah. It requires a commitment. It, it's so funny. I mean, I, I, I can't tell you how many times I've had someone come up out of an audience, like during a time when I was singing background vocals to Kelly and playing percussion, for instance, and someone come up and go, Oh, I, I just want to do what you do. I don't want to be the front person. I don't want to do that. I just want to do what you were doing in that song. Cause you know, where you just get to sing the background parts and you just get to shake some percussion. I'm thinking, I'm like, yes, why don't you come on up and try that? <laughs> come on up. <laughs> Let's see how that goes. <laughs> yeah, but you're right. And, and it's also, it, it should look effortless. It should look easy. And and really, I should take that as a compliment. Um, because if it's looking like I'm having a blast, it's because I am. And you can only do that if you've put the preparation time in, right? Right, right. So tell me a little bit about what made you jump into this singer-songwriter role. And you also had to develop your skills. I, I noticed that you're playing guitar on this on these songs. And what was the initial, what made you just finally jump out there and go, I'm doing this and just get right on it? Um, yeah, so songwriting and singing is something I've, I've, I mean, I've loved singing my entire life. And songwriting was something, you know, I remember back in high school writing songs. And I would, I would tr- try to come out of my little shell and share a song with somebody and I'd immediately get shot down. And then that would um, make me go back into my shell and wait a few more years, and then uh, I'd pop back out with another idea, and then I'd get shot down again. 
And so, and that, that's been going on, you know, ever since the beginning. Uh, the thing that kind of got me over, over that, you know, that's kind of bolstered my resilience has been that in the last several years I've had, um, family members and friends die. And, uh, and specifically there was one friend that, uh, that passed away that I would live with back in Texas, back in the day. I mean, you may have met him mm. back when we were playing music together, but, um, he was a really good friend. And for a couple of years, he played in sixpence with us as a, like a utility player. He's a keyboard and guitar player. And so I just always looked to him as ah. he's got to be the guy that makes it. Like I know, like he just, once he gets to Nashville, you know, he's going to be accepted into the songwriting community and he's just going to start just doing great, great things. And, um, and so he did move to Nashville and he was making a little bit of a dent, you know, but not as big as what I had assumed that he was going to, you know, do. And then he passed away unexpectedly. And so part of my motivation for doing this is that, you know, if you feel like there's something in you that you need to do or that you want to do, you know, you don't know how much longer you've got. And then I feel like too, for the people that wanted to do it and are mm-hmm. no longer able to do it, I, I owe it to my friend Kelly to just put myself out there, um, you know. And um, so I kind of tell people that like death is a really mm-hmm. great motivator, you know. Um, you know, when you uh, when the doctor tells you that your cholesterol's, you know, oh, yeah. going through the roof and you can either take medicine or start exercising, you know, I, I I chose to start exercising, you know, mm-hmm. and then with my friend and, and several other family members and friends passing away, it just, you know, the, the, the awareness of time and, you know, all we have is now. So what are you doing? Is this something you really want to do? Then mm-hmm. if so, then go, go for it. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. if your songs aren't any good or if you're not accepted. Right. You know, we were talking about the other day. Uh, this is something that Julia Cameron teaches so well in the artist's way. It's like a creative Bible. It talks about so many of these things going back to what people see when they look at entertainers and think, oh, that looks so fun. That looks so easy. There's also not an understanding sometimes of how much shutdown there can be, like what you're talking about. So everybody gets shut down. But sometimes people may have the idea that someone who's a successful entertainer, that that hasn't happened to them. And that's just not true. It's like you said, I've had many people that I've lost in the last few years, uh, and including, as you know, my daughter, but also a lot of friends. And it really does, it starts changing and shaping the things that you do. And like Julia Cameron says, she started playing piano. uh, Oh gosh, I think she might've been in her sixties. And she said, when I'm 70, I'll still be 70. I'll just have 10 years of piano playing behind me or not. So it's never too late to start those things that you really want to do that really mean something to you and ways of expressing yourself. And like what you've been through, all of that definitely feeds into your songwriting for sure, doesn't it? Yeah, it it, it sure does. Part of my uh, challenge to myself with the Maudlin Fee is to push through my shyness and my need to hide. Mm-hmm. And as a drummer, I've been playing you know drums for over thirty years. I'm I'm pretty good at that. Um, 
And, right. and I got good at it because I just did it over and over again. And, you know, the longer you do something, the better you're going to get at it. But with the songwriting thing, I, I realized that I'm at the, f- the front edge of that. You know, like Julia Cameron, she started playing piano. Um, and in 10 years, I'll be a much better songwriter and performer. But if I don't get out and start doing it, in 10 years, I won't be any better. Right. And so... I have to keep reminding myself that it's okay to fail um, and, and just, just get used to that. You're, you're going to fail <laughs> and it's going to yes. be uncomfortable, but your, your long-term goal though is to get better at your craft. Mm-hmm. And if it's a, you know, there's the analogy of like, pick your ladder, pick whatever ladder you want to be on. And you may not get to the top rung of the ladder, but if you're on the ladder you want to be on, you're, you're going to be happy. You're going to get better mm-hmm. the more you work at it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm always experimenting. I mean, I talk about that a lot on the podcast and you can look at different videos that I've done and I've been combining inspirational speaking with music and a lot of times specifically with rock music because that's not a lot of times what people put together like meditation and inspiration and rock music but that's my background and and that's the way it feels for me so that's what I've been playing with and experimenting with and there's times where I'm thinking what nobody's going to get what I'm doing here and then I think it doesn't matter if it's coming from me then as I work it out then other people will start understanding it and be drawn to it as well because we're never um, as alone in our thoughts as we think or, or as we can feel like we are. You know, if we're thinking something or feeling something, then likely there's other people that are feeling that too, which is one of the reasons that music touches people on such a deep level is for that very reason. It's like that song must have been written about exactly what I was going through, you know? Yeah. We are all drops in the ocean Mm. and we we're sending out ripples. And I've got to say that when you started doing the work that you're doing, you know, several years ago and I signed up for your email list, uh, periodically I'll get an email from you, um, you know, that you send out to the people that are on your list. Mm -hmm. And I, it's, it's always a reminder that here's somebody that you know, that you've, you know, you were, you're friends with and she's going after it. <laughs> and it's, I know it's a difficult road, but you're, you're showing up and you're putting yourself out there. And if, and so part of that, it's like, well, man, if, if she can do it, maybe, maybe mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I could, I can take a stab at this too. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. It's good to know, you know, it's, because you're right. Sometimes you can feel like, okay, it's going out there. Hello, hello, anybody there? Right. And when you're doing something new like that, and especially if you've done, like you and I have been, you know, we've been out there in front of audiences of thousands and thousands of people, right? And then you do right. something new and you're, you're going, is there even an audience of one? But you keep going for that reason. It's like when I get that feedback from you, it's like, you know what? This is making a difference to somebody. So it's about part of it's about persistence. You just keep on going, keep doing it. Yeah. And, you know, the affirmation is always nice. But what I've kind of realized is that the goal that is driving me is like, does this bring me life? Does this bring me joy? Is this something I really want to do? Yeah, it does. (laughs) I know I'm really bad at it or whatever. (laughs) I've got a long way to go. But it really, um, it makes me excited to be alive. Mm. And so whether there's any accolades or any sort of affirmation from anybody else, you know, in my mind, it's like, that shouldn't matter. Like if I feel like I'm putting out good work, then keep doing it. Then that's secondary, right? Right, right. You have to do it for yourself first. And it's about your own journey. And then 
secondary to that, if it touches others, and there's a a saying that I loved when I heard it was lift as you climb. So as you're doing more, if you're lifting others along with that, then it's, it's that much better. But the primary thing is to show up for your own journey, I guess you could say. Yeah. And then the, you know, the other thing if I've realized is that, uh, in the creative world, uh, there's songs that we listen to that didn't exist prior to them being written, <laughs> right? you know, life-changing songs. Right. And, and so as I'm writing songs and then as I'm crafting my sound and producing my music, I'm hearing the results and going, I don't, this doesn't sound like anything to me, but it mm-hmm. feels so much all me. This is all me that mm-hmm. I'm pouring into this. And, uh, and then I remind myself, it's like, well, before certain things were like just normal, they didn't exist. And so you're bringing into existence this thing. And of course it's, it's not going to sound familiar because it's, it's never been like your voice has never been out there. Mm-hmm. Like you've not sort of shown up enough to, uh, you know, put your flag in the ground. And so that's a, another sort of key to it is that, yeah, as you're working on stuff, it may sound familiar in some ways, but your creation is, has never been out there. You know, yeah. you're, you're creating something from nothing and it's an amazing thing. And if you can just not get caught up in the, you know, is this going to bring me fame? Is this going to bring me money? And somehow still stick to that joy of creating. I think it's a, it's a good thing. Yeah, that's ultimately what it is. And I think this is a great place for us to listen to your song, Lily of the Valley. I love the work that you're doing. I've known you for years and we've played music together and you've been the drummer and we've been personal friends. And then this is this new aspect of Dale that I don't yet know. So it's exactly what you're talking about. That's refreshing when you get to see someone you care about in a new way. And so this particular song was the first one that really stuck out to me. And I want to play it right here and then we'll talk about it a little bit. So this is the Maudlin Fee, Lily of the Valley. I spin you 
It's more than make-believe It's more than we can see It's more than we can the valley from the maudlin fee so dale you had shared with me that there were some cool things about this song the way that this was created the way this came up for you and i actually asked you not to tell me that story when we were talking before <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> because yeah, i wanted so. to hear it freshly for the first time here on the podcast so right. tell me about that <laughs> yeah so this song is a, it's a really great sort of a proof of concept for kind of what i'm trying to do I've been playing music for a long time and part of this process is trying to see what's inside of me, what's my voice, and then how do I hear it based on all my influences and stuff, you know, how does that work? Uh, And so some of my songs are mashups of different genres and vibes and whatever. And so, uh, so specifically what's great about this song and talking to you about it is that it goes all the way. I can, I can make a connection between the percussion in this song and uh, you and Kelly introducing me to this band called The Story, which uh-huh. was uh, Jonathan Brooks' band before she went solo. And that album was sort of a watershed moment, I guess, in the in in the sort of the genre of singer songwriters to me. Mm-hmm. In that, you know, they kind of did 
they were singer songwriters, but the music underneath them was this really rich percussion tapestry mm. and uh, really produced. But if you stripped it all away, they were just two, two women singing, doing the folk thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I thought, well, that's a really interesting thing. And that, you know, that's one of those records that I, I go back and listen to it. I just have so many great memories about it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and for me, personally, when I'm playing a train beat as a drummer behind a singer-songwriter, it's a 16th note pattern that's on a lot of country songs and a lot of mm-hmm. folk music, mm-hmm. I hear it not as a boring drum beat, which most drummers would feel it you're like oh come on i can do way more here like i mm-hmm. hear it as a S- south american rhythm <laughs> cool. so, so even though i might not be an authentic brazilian musician i'd feel the beat in a different way and so with lily in the valley i kind of took that to the to the extremes and then the other thing i love about making music is the collaborative process mm-hmm. and so this project and, and doing my music is a kind of a way for me to reach out to my friends and people that have influenced me and have been a part of my life and to kind of bring them in and just to kind of, you know, put them in a piece of art so I can go, yes, yeah. you know, I did something with this person. And, and so the drums on that uh, particular song, Lily of the Valley, it's not me. Uh, it's my friend, Leanne Harris, who was a student at University of North Texas when I was there. And she kind of pulled me into the world of percussion and taught me so much. And so I've, I've wanted to collaborate with her for years. And I thought this would be a, a great way to do it. So I told her what I was looking for. And, and she sent me the tracks and just hit out of the ballpark. So that brings me so much joy when I hear it. It's like, oh, man, I love the rhythm on that so much. Yeah. You're talking about this collaboration and I feel such an excitement around that, so much energy around it because I hear your excitement about collaborating with people and then it brings it up in me because I'm going here, we get to talk about this now and you're talking about working with Kelly and me and then Kelly introduced you to to Jonathan Brooks. And then that brought you around to working with someone you'd been in school with. And then I am starting playing the drums, but percussion for a lot of years started with you helping me on that. Uh, I had always wanted to play it. And when you were playing drums with us, you showed me some really specific things about how to use my hands on hand drums. And you also gave me some cases that I still have. Thank you for that. <laughs> and what's so great is like every time I use those cases, it's so uh, funny how your I mind know. goes. Yeah. Uh, it's it's like these connections. I pull, I put my drums in. I'm like Dale Baker gave me these cases. Yeah, yeah. I have that. <laughs> Somebody like, gave me. It's a, like you're there. Yeah. I got a cookbook for my wedding, and every time I open up that cookbook, I think of Jay. I go, oh yeah, or no, the, the cookbook was actually Chris, and then I've got a bowl that Jay gave me. So every time I use the bowl, <laughs> the cookbook, I think of my friends. They have no idea that I'm like bringing them to mind, but I just, you know, love connections like that. It's great. I know. I do too. It's like, you just don't realize how much of an effect you have on other people's lives and in what ways and things that may seem insignificant on one end are very significant on the other end. So I know exactly the things that you taught me about using my hands in certain ways on the hand drum that made all the difference and got me more Hmm. interested in a lot of different things. You know, Kelly and I both, we were talking about it the other day. We loved, loved having you on drums behind us because now that you know, as someone who's out front, 
it is essential to have a drummer who is, I mean, that you know, that you absolutely know that person is going to be there. There's not going to be something, you're not going to get the rug pulled out from under you. There's not something that's just going to drop out and, you know, just gone, which has happened to us a lot, right? To any person who's out front. So thank you for that. Yeah, I, I have had an experience as a singer-songwriter being backed up by a drummer who I didn't connect with. And yeah. it's the most awkward. See? It's so hard to get through the song because no, the drummer's not on the same page. And you don't know what to tell him to get on the same page. Oh, really? But it's just, you can just feel that it's not working. Okay, so you and- know what? You just gave me, oh my <laughs> gosh, that is like, I wish we were together. I would be doing a huge high five with you right now. So yeah. air high five through the microphones here because sometimes when I don't know what to say to a drummer about why that's not working, it's going back to that whole shutdown thing. People can make you feel like, oh, well, if you don't know how to tell me, how am I going to know this is your fault for not knowing all the ins and outs? But when a drummer that I respect as much as I respect you tells me that he doesn't know what to say to the drummer, <laughs> that really helps yeah. me a lot. <laughs> it's sort of being aware that, you know, you've told them everything that you you want, but it's still not getting through there. Mm-hmm. So then you realize, well, his or hers, the drummer's sort of approach mm-hmm. isn't meshing with you. And so, great. Take that as a, as a sign. And next time don't hire that guy. Yeah, or whatever, yeah, you know, yeah. and so it's like, sometimes people just get it and then other times they don't. And it's just like, well, okay, that's, you just use a different bag of tricks and that's not working sure. for me. But I thought it was going to, cause yeah. A different internal rhythm too. Yeah. I remember when we were looking for drummers and the first day that you showed up, we were like, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's so true. It's so true. And because you can feel there's an energy there that without talking about it, you're like, this guy feels what we're feeling. Okay. Mm. And he may bring some different things to the table we didn't know about for sure. But I'm saying you're feeling the same energy. And so without having to talk about it, the groove is just there and it can change the song and make the song into something new and something that you hadn't even realized, something richer than you even realized that it could have been, you know, or it can go south as well. So (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just laughing about this before we got started here recording because we'd been talking about Richard Rohr and drumming and the communication and what drumming does in a healing sense. So I thought, you know, I, I need to check out that link that Dale sent me. Well, it actually went to a video where it pops up with Christine Stevens talking about drumming. And what's funny about this is this is the second time Okay, my last podcast conversation with Dean Lindsay, (laughs) the same thing popped up. He was talking about the person who brought him really on stage as a singer for the first time when he was in Up With People was Christine Stevens. And I was like, oh, "Oh, Christine Stevens is the person who trained me as a Remo Drums Health Rhythms facilitator. And then you send me that link, right? (laughs) Yeah. And I'm like, okay, I think I need to have Christine on the podcast because one of the things that I loved that she said, she said, music is the language of diplomacy of the future. 
And mm. what she knows, mm. because Remo has put a ton of money into studying the effects of music and specifically drumming on the body. And they were able to see that drumming releases cancer-fighting killer cells into the bloodstream. That's what Remo Drum's mm. health rhythms was created from the scientific evidence. And it's not listening to music. It's about playing music. And it's also about community. Drums bring people into community because they're communication tool. So it was really, really cool that you sent me that. And I thought, wow, look how that ties into everything else I've been talking about on the podcast what drums can do yeah that's i watched a little bit of that video and i thought this is this is kim (laughs) it it felt so much like you and and your spirit and uh and so that's really (laughs) mind-blowing that she was your teacher that's that's really neat isn't that cool i'm gonna love telling her about that and and i was interested you had uh, talked to me about richard Rohr and about some work that he was doing around men's initiation rights. And I was super interested in that because one of the things that I've talked about on this podcast is that there are so many things out there for women to tap into for personal development, for spiritual development, and there are not as many things for men. So I was really interested in what you were sharing with me about the work that he's doing and tell me a little bit about what you know about that well i know that's that was some of his earlier work um but you know recently he has a daily email that you can sign up to receive and so he'll each week has a different sort of topic or theme so i'm not really familiar with his work with the initiation rights it's sort of like on my list of things to kind of dive into Mm -hmm. and but you know in the last like two or three weeks he did a whole thing on sexuality and uh, gender and things like that. And as I've sort of made peace with who I am as a, as a man and as a person, um, all that stuff is really fascinating. You know, it's like, yeah. I know that I feel like for men, there's, there's a couple sort of ideals that you're supposed to shoot for. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so for those of us that don't, don't hit those sort of ideals, then it's like, well, where do we fit in the whole, like, I feel like I'm still very much a man, you know, but I'm, but I'm soft around the edges, you know, and uh, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm emotional, right? <laughs> and, sure. it, and it was what makes me a good artist, you yes, know, it's like, uh, exactly. And another thing, uh, Richard were, you know, got into early on was this Enneagram mm-hmm. thing that is becoming way, way more popular now. But, yeah. um, uh, so I kind of have been really fascinated with the Enneagram. Uh, it's allowed me to have more compassion and understanding for people that I don't see eye to eye with. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's helped me see how rich our communities are, how rich our relationships can be. And, uh, and it's helped me as a parent, too, to, to see that my children are, are unique in how they view the world. And, and because they don't view the world the same way I do, it, it doesn't change the validity. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're just processing things through a different lens. And, and that's amazing. When you're a student of these kind of things, like the Enneagram and, and some of the other things that we've talked about, you have a daughter and a son, and so you get to see how different it is to relate to each of these genders, right? And I know how essential it is for girls to grow up with fathers who love them and support them and who also show their love for the wife, the mother. Right. 
it makes a huge difference. And so, you know, Kelly and I grew up with that, with a loving father and with a man who showed his love for our mother in, in beautiful ways. And it makes a real difference. But as, you know, as an adult, you talk to other people who didn't have that and you can see the differences in the way that they think and their ability to have compassion for others. And so, you know, it's interesting when you talk about as an artist, it's like, okay, well, there's this range of masculinity and femininity, right? That it's not so clear cut as a man and a woman. It's, it's a range of what we feel and experience. But as an artist, you're more in touch with, let's say, that feminine side of yourself. Right. And, you know, the Enneagram, the thing I love about it is it's it's really easy to go, oh, I'm this type. And so therefore now you've figured everything out about me. But <laughs> there's there's a lot of flexibility in the system so that there's actually, you know, like over 50 different flavors of that. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, it's more food for thought. And so I, I love reading uh, about, you know, personal development and mm-hmm. Uh, you know, relationships and psychology and, you know, a lot of it's just because I'm an artist and I go, what, what the hell is wrong with me? I need to, I need to get to the bottom. <laughs> it's like, no, you're fine. <laughs> but it, it all starts from like, oh, I must be the, the reason that this world is so messed up. Uh, <laughs> I got to get it together. <laughs> right, right. Just get it together. And before and I get then, it yeah, together, I'm going to write a song about that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so I, I find that it's really good food for thought. And then it also brings up these ideas of identity. Just recently, a good friend sent me a video to this men's conference and it was just so over the top. I just, <laughs> it hit me that they must be questioning their masculinity if they're going to go that far into the masculine sort mm-hmm. of, it's not even reality, you mm-hmm. know, but it's this sort of made up sort of view of like what a real man is. Right. And, and it just made me so angry (laughs) because I think we've all been sold a bill of goods Mm -hmm. on these things that we identify with. So, you know, for some people to be a man looks a certain way Mm -hmm. and that's, and then to be a woman looks a certain way. Mm -hmm. And I I feel like maybe we're, we're turning a corner and, you know, I know people that are, they're part of the LGBT thing, but they will not, they won't call themselves gay. Mm -hmm. They Mm -hmm. won't call themselves lesbians. They they say I'm attracted to energy Mm -hmm. and I don't know where that puts me, but I don't want to be, I don't want to be identified as a, as a lesbian mm-hmm. because there's a there's a type there as well, right? You know? And as I've thought more about my masculinity and my my gender, uh, I'm very much a heterosexual male, mm-hmm. but uh, I can see that there's just a broad range of how we express our sexuality or our gender, and I want to live in a world where we're just all human beings. Yes. And we don't have to come into a room and say, well, yeah, I'm the guy mm-hmm. who's this or I'm I'm gay or whatever. And I feel like that's coming. I think we're going to, yeah, or at least that's my hope, yeah. is that the, the gender stuff, the identity and the ego that's wrapped up in our gender goes away and that we can all just get on with the process of being human. Yeah, and I don't know if this will happen in our lifetime because anytime there's change, you know, it gets really messy before things change and become the norm. And we're in this really messy place right now, right? Yeah. But the thing that's great, it's kind of a beautiful mess. What's wonderful about that is that we do get to explore. We're at a place where 
previously we couldn't explore, we couldn't talk, we couldn't even talk to one another on this podcast about things like that. Like you said, without being labeled a certain way, um, without things getting put into a little bitty box. But now we can say, oh, let's look at all those different colors. Let's look at all those different musical notes and see what we can put together that before someone might have said, oh, you can't do that. It doesn't go together, you know? Yeah. And, I, you know, for me personally, it's like I, I look back and I see, you know, I was raised in the Christian tradition and I, I look at it as a box that I was raised in, like a very, very great box. You know, things were black and white. Things were a certain way. Um, it did a really good job of forming me as a person, but it also gave me some blind spots. And introduce shame into my life in a way that now I look back on that and I, uh, and I, I still see it. I, I'm a sort of an itinerant church drummer. So I get hired by different churches to play drums for mm-hmm. them and I love it. And, yeah. We do yeah, the same and I, thing. I, I love all my friends, all, you know, in all the different de- denominations uh, I've got, you know, foot in everything. Um, but I feel like the one thing where the churches could sort of failed us is that they sort of uh, talk about sin and usually when they're talking about sin, it's sexual sin, <laughs> you know, mm, right? Yeah, so it's, I mean, it's, of course. You know, I, for men, it's like one of two things, you know. <laughs> Even if they're talking about something else, it will find its way back there. <laughs> right. And so I turned a corner where it's like, oh, you know what? That's just human. The way we move through the world. Can we just appreciate the fact that we're human? Oh, yeah, most definitely. Hold that thought. We'll be back in just a minute. I actually want to tell our listeners about a free tool that can help if you're struggling with this kind of thing. You're listening to The Naked Vibe Show. The show is sponsored by Rocket University, where you'll find tools to create more energy, joy, excellence, and purpose in your life so that you can be more fulfilled in your relationships, in your career, your creativity, every area of your life. Be sure to get your free download of the Instant Ignition Worksheet in the show notes on NakedVibes.com. It's got some exercises and other tidbits to help you reduce stress immediately in any circumstance and create more energy and vitality. I've been told by several guys who've used it that it really stirred up that inner fire. You'll find a link for Rocket U and you'll get immediate access in the show notes on NakedVibes.com. Are you ready to get naked? So, Dale, you were talking about the ideas around sexual sin. So, um, it seemed, you know, for me... um, that certain thoughts or ideas were deemed sinful, you know? And when I think about psychology and family systems and, um, you know, in environments, the way we think and the way we behave and move through the world um, is so influenced by the people that brought us up. Mm. Um, you know, we do make choices that maybe are bad, but for the most part, I believe that people are good. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so when we're sort of shamed into saying, you know, people like you shouldn't be thinking that you shouldn't, you shouldn't, you know, and mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it's like, well, maybe that's true, but they're just thoughts. Mm-hmm. And I feel like with the sin conversation is we, we focus so much on the sin that if, 
the things that you focus on are the things you're going to do. Of course. Right. right? Of course. <laughs> so, it's like. So churches, <laughs> some of these churches just focus on sin so much and it's like, it's a, it's a feedback loop. And I feel like if we changed it to, uh, you know, I grew up in the era of like altar calls and stuff. So it's like you present a case that you're really flawed and then you can say a prayer and those flaws will go away and you're good. Mm. But they never go away because you're a teenager and you're human and you're going right. through change, right? So I, I've thought, what if you change the conversation to love? What does it take to love? It's not as tidy as the sin conversation oh, right. because it's so much more open-ended. But I feel like the corner that I've turned is you know, focus on love. Like you want to be a good guy. You want to bring joy into the world. You want to encourage others. You want to create good art. Focus on that, Mm -hmm. you know, and you're going to have thoughts and feelings and you're going to do stupid stuff. But yeah, of course you are. Like Mm -hmm. we're all human, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so just give yourself a pass on that. Yeah. Another thought is that, you know, the sin in the church, I think is the body of Christ. We need to be focusing on like the big sins that as the body of Christ, where are we failing the world? Where are we failing our, mm-hmm. our brothers and sisters? You mm-hmm. know, is there clean water? Mm-hmm. Is there food? You know, mm-hmm. um, there's these bigger issues that yes. have so little to do with what's floating through our head. Yes. You know, that is deemed as you should not think that. And so along those lines, I had been reading on this website called the School of Life. They have a blog called the Book of Life, and they have different articles about things about being human like why do we do this and it's such a non-judgmental site i love it in that you can read these articles and you just feel like oh okay i'm not alone like i'm not the only one that thinks that way yeah and so they had an article about what do we do with crushes like what the what the hell is that all about Mm -hmm. you know we're married and we're happily married and we've got great relationships but then why did that person just stick in my brain and so the way they unpack it is just this really gracious like those are just thoughts. Our brain just does things, right? So I kind of wrote that down as a great idea for a song. Like I thought, oh, a secret crush, that's potentially shameful. You know, like if you're already in a relationship, that's good. And then you have a crush. So I had that thought. And then several months later, I was getting ready to do a performance. And I thought, would it be great to write a new song? And then secret crush kind of came up. And then in order to write the song, I really had to, uh, to get vulnerable with myself yeah. In order to to flesh the song out and then singing it, it it feels like, wow, I'm really putting myself out there. <laughs> I'm being really vulnerable. But as I've been playing it for several months now, I realize that it's sort of a metaphor for me as a songwriter. And my secret crush is that I really want to be a songwriter and singer. <laughs> and oh, yeah. <laughs> so okay. even though the words don't really play into that, but when I think about it, it's like, yeah, I wanted to be... I want to be known. I want to be seen. Mm -hmm. I want to put myself out there. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if I've got enough guts to do that. So that song kind of speaks to that. But uh, I love that. It can be taken both ways, I suppose. Yeah. You just gave such a great example of how the depth of songwriting, something that it may appear to mean on one level, it's got a deeper level of meaning and that that vulnerability, it's a deep thing as opposed to a wide thing. It's like um, if we keep peeling away the layers, we recognize that 
one thing means another thing leads to another thing. And then you get this analogy or this metaphor that makes a perfect song. And then that's when it goes wide because it reaches more people. It means one thing to somebody who listens, another thing to someone else who listens. So the more vulnerable you are and the deeper you're willing to go, the more broad that can touch people. So this is a perfect place, I think, to play Secret Crush, right? Yeah, that sounds great. I'd love to share it with you guys. Let's do that. This is Secret Crush from The Maudlin Fee. I'd love to share the news with you Finding hope and peace inside the suffering Things are different than before There's a feeling I can't ignore And it's such a rush Songs have been written and symphonies composed about it I thought I knew what it was but you showed me Finds a song, makes us feel that we belong. But it makes me blush. You are my secret crush. You are my secret.
Secret Crush from the Maudlin Fee, and Dale was just telling me a few things about what led to this, and we got into a specific discussion about shame, and I'm real interested in what you have to say about that, and so uh, enlighten enlighten us here a little bit about what you've been telling me. Well, I just, it's, I think growing up in a, a church environment is you 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 can't escape shame you know that th- there's a there's an example that you're supposed to be like and you're going to always fall short and there's not a lot of discussion about well you're human and you're going to mess up so just enjoy the fact that you're human and we all want to be better but we're all messing mm-hmm. up like none of us has got this figured out but the way the organization usually works is that there's a guy that just is amazing, the pastor, and he's got, you know, he goes to CrossFit <laughs> and he looks amazing. And you're just like, he's perfect. And he never, you never see him sort of become vulnerable. And, uh, and so you go, right. well, God, I'm going to, I must be a mess. Cause I don't, I don't have six pack abs. <laughs> 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 so, right. Oh. And, and for some people they're like, I don't even know how to pray. So I got to go and listen to yeah. the other people pray. And that's my prayer because I yeah. don't know how and to do that. I just feel like I wish somebody could just say, hey, we're all messes here. So however you can get in touch exactly. with the divine, go there. Like, you know, just and uh, there's nothing to be afraid of. <laughs> just just pay attention exactly. to your thoughts and and just be, you know, you're smart. You're you're good. You're a good creature. And You'll figure it out. The divine, you know, God or whatever you want to call the thing. We can all agree there's something unifying us all. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. Can we just trust Mm -hmm. each other to figure it out? (laughs) Right. Exactly. Well, you know, you had mentioned to me when we were talking before about this whole thing on shame. And I said, hey, I've had this subject come up over and over and over again. And I even wrote a whole novel based out of this idea of being told about sin. And I didn't grow up with that. Okay. So I, you know, I grew up in the Christian church and the Methodist church and an open household where we could really share, um, our thoughts and ideas, and there wasn't any danger here. Not that there's not a difference between the way I think and the way my parents and their generation thinks. Um, but, I didn't grow up with that. And so when I started seeing that in our culture, it just made me go, what, what is going on with all this sin stuff and all this shame stuff? And the more I saw it and the more stories I heard people tell me, oh, it just, it just ticked me off. It's like, so people are telling you that you're not okay to have your thoughts and feelings. And like you were mentioning before, instead of just saying, oh, there's a thought that's interesting. Let me roll that around and see where that's coming from. Instead of that, people are being told that thought is not okay. And then that creates shame. So that's what my novel Heaven was born out of. And I know you had said, hey, I'm not sure where she's going with well, all yeah, this. As, you know, I, I'm working really hard to sort of put my Protestant background of anything that reeks of any sexuality is to be to be. tamped down and not discussed you know (laughs) 
<laughs> right. right. And, well, I mean, and it's it's not just a Protestant background, Dale. I mean, it is prevalent in our culture. And the evidence is there with, you know, you have billboards that just advertise, they're just dripping with, you know, sex, sex, sex. And then as soon as someone says, oh, okay, I'm looking at that, someone else goes, you shouldn't be looking at that. So people are like, oh my God, I don't know what yeah. to do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, so when you, I mean, years ago when, you know, when you wrote the book and you're sending out, Hey, I've got this book and support it. I was like, I don't, I'm not sure where Kim's going with this, but this is making me really uncomfortable. I don't know if I, yeah. well, that was the other things growing up is that I was told we went to seminars on music and you could t- listen to certain music, but not other music. And the reasons for it were just mm-hmm. so like stupid. And <laughs> A lot of it was like fear-based and most of it's most of religion is fear-based right yeah so um sure or at least the the stuff that i've experienced and so you know so that came up with your book and even with the podcast it's like wow i really want to listen to kim's podcast but it's got the word naked in it and <laughs> i don't i don't know if, if if somebody sees that on my iphone Wait, what why does, does kim mean? like to do this <laughs> Why is she always putting this out yeah, there and scaring yeah. people? And so then, so the thought is, is like, well, well, that's interesting that you'd be scared about a word. It's just a freaking word. And you've, you've mm-hmm. attached a lot of meaning to that word, but that word has a lot of different shades to it, you know, and, and you're looking at yes. the cover of her book and you're making judgments about what's inside of it. And you're afraid of what you might <laughs> find in there. So mm-hmm. you're making choices based on fear. And I feel like, you know, the thing is like, if, if that's something that's sort of a, getting your attention, well, don't be afraid. Just go, go check it out. You'll figure out soon enough mm-hmm. if that was a, a, if that was a healthy choice, if that, or if that was a good choice, if it's a, a choice you feel good about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think a lot of the stuff I was raised around is like, oh yeah, if you associate yourself with certain things, it's going to change you. Like the devil's going to get inside of you and you're going to become this other person. Mm-hmm. And, um, I'm just trying to learn how to just call BS on all that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I mean, you know, there's no question that people make choices that lead them down paths where they never intended to go and they find themselves in places that they don't want to be and they don't know how they got there and they don't know how to get out of there. So there's no question about that. But that is the reason why so much of what I do is about exactly what we're talking about. It's like if you're afraid of certain words or afraid of certain ideas, the likelihood that you're going to travel down a wrong path and not even know it until it's too late is higher. Simply because if you're willing to examine things and roll them around on the front end, you feel afraid of something or something's making you uncomfortable and you are willing to be vulnerable enough to ask the question, why is this making me uncomfortable? comfortable, then it gets things out in the open. It takes the covers off. It gets you naked enough, right? In the, in the, on the front end to say, gosh, you know, I see what this is now. You know, that's actually a path I don't want to walk down. I'm glad that I took a look at it. I'm glad that I discussed it with my friend, or I'm glad that I prayed about this because now I know more about not wanting to walk down that yeah, path. And a, right. And a lot of that is just your shadow self. We, we all have shadow selves. And so getting it out yes. into the light, I think, is way more helpful than continuing to hide it and yeah. to to feel shame for having to hide something. 
if there's a problem, let's let's address it. Let's get to the bottom of it and work towards health. Yeah. I think a lot more marriages could be saved if people would do that up front instead of, and I'm not saying that you're never, those secret crushes in that way are going to stop happening because they're not. But again, the thing is, the longer they stay a secret, the greater the likelihood that someone ends up in a place that they never intended to go. And if we could just be more honest with one another by saying, you know what, I, I've had this thought about this secret crush, or I've had these feelings of wanting to do this. And, you know, as a married person, that can deepen that relationship and make it a lot more rich by being able to say, wow, you know, this is a new, maybe this is a new part of you that I'd also like to discover, but hidden, I can't even know this about you. Yeah. I think that's the you know, the stuff I've kind of been realizing with music and with my songwriting is that if you don't bring all of you to the table, we're missing out. You know, I want to see the full Kim, you know, I want to, I want to know. And, mm-hmm. and my personality type is such that uh, there's nothing you can do or say to me that I'm not going to, there's nothing, I'm, I'm going to always love you, right? Like there's nothing that anyone could ever do mm-hmm. or say to me that I wouldn't still love them. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. It, you know, it may be that they make a choice and I just don't want to hang out with them anymore, but it's like, no, I get it. We're all flawed exactly. and we all have, we're all complicated and um, can we just acknowledge that? And can we throw it out on the table and just go, yeah, yeah you too? Oh, my God. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I think for guys in particular, you know, just the, the masculinity thing, it's just it's it's really hard for us to sort of like let down our guards until until we, mm, yeah. you know, face a crisis or our life takes a um, takes a turn. Uh, and to go back to Richard Rohr, he's got a book called Falling Upward, which is just brilliantly, you know, illustrates that. Mm-hmm. I'll have to check that out. You and I have talked about so many different great writers and inspirational teachers and spiritual leaders. Um, Henry Nowen, I had found some books in my mom's bookshelf after she passed by Henry Nowen, The Wounded Healer. And then when you mentioned that to me, I thought, oh, yeah, that is just such rich life stuff. I mean, he definitely gets to some of what you're talking about, bringing your vulnerability to the table and just putting it out there. And especially as a man and saying, this is this is okay. This is who I am. And and I'm not less of a man because of it. Yeah. And Rob Bell is another one that you had mentioned. Yeah. So I'm I'm mentioning these people because anyone listening to this podcast, not only do I want to introduce you as a listener to great music, I also want to introduce you to some great thinkers that you might not have run across, some thinkers that can help you in your walk and in your faith journey, if you will, to go deeper and to become more and more of who you really are so that you feel a greater sense of freedom in your life. That's really uh, ultimately what this is about. Right, right. I'm with you on that. I, I feel like there's so many authors that I was told were acceptable and some authors that were not acceptable, but I never made that choice on my own. You know, there, I was just mm-hmm. being sort of told, here's the list of things you can do and things that you can't do. And as adults, it's like, well, you don't, you don't have to live by those rules anymore. And so I know Rob Bell's a divisive figure in certain mm-hmm. certain circles, but it's like, why don't you read his stuff? Like, don't take <laughs> it from your your pastor, or the, your friend, who's like, no, he's wrong. 
Mm-hmm. Actually, do the research yourself and see if it resonates with you. If it does, great. If it doesn't, then just leave it. You don't have to become a crusader, you know? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Think with your own mind. Exactly. That's that's what it's there for. And that's what's so freeing about music and about drumming and about creativity. And uh, you told me something really funny that I wanted to go back to before we leave the idea of The Secret Crush. You told me about your video for The Secret Crush and what inspired you to do that. And I thought that this was so, so fun and creative and uh, share that story. Yeah. So uh, about a year or so ago, I, I found out about this thing called Slow TV, which is uh, created by Norwegian television. And uh, I, I don't know how it came about, but basically the idea is they you know maybe they're running short on their budget for the year i don't know but there's a, a famous train route you can take in norway that takes you from one side of the country to the other side and um so they basically strapped a camera to this train <laughs> and 7 hours later um they stopped the camera they need to stop the film so it's essentially a 7 hour tv show and there with no cuts no commercials no music and uh, you, you'll hear the train, you know, as you go through different stations, you'll hear the bell ring, the train will stop, people will get on. Um, but there's essentially no talking. It's, occasionally you'll see, a, you'll hear a conductor, but I think the subtitles are basically, they just say someone's talking. Like they don't tell you what he's saying. They're just like, bell is ringing. You know, it's like the yellow European subtitle thing. Anyway, I just thought it was a fascinating it's it's really it's really fun to watch. It's like visual background noise. But this thing became a yeah, hit, yeah, right? It's a huge deal. And so this gave you an idea for the Secret Crush video. And so uh, I thought it would be fun <laughs> to. Um, I wanted to accomplish a couple of things with the video. I wanted something that's moving, that's not too eye catching, but just something to keep you attracted to the the screen. And then I thought, well, I'll, I'll try to do um, something around this slow TV thing. And so. I stumbled onto this idea of two rivers falling in love with one another or one river falling in love with another <laughs> river. <laughs> cool. So I kind of cool. use that as sort of the narrative uh, to, to help me edit the thing together. But uh, what I find though, even when I watch it, the first minute of the video is essentially one single shot. Like there's no cut and our brains wow. are so wired to expect a cut after, you know, two seconds. Um, that there's a point at which our brain settles down or mine. And I've, I've heard it from other people that have seen the video that you're thinking, okay, so when's the cut coming? When's the cut? Oh, I guess it's not coming. Oh, all right. So I guess I'm going to just settle down and listen to the song. Oh, okay. Nice song. All right. This is cool. You know, and then once you've settled in, it then cuts. Um, well, that's meditation. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And so can people see that on the modelinfee.com? Uh, you can go to my YouTube channel. And so just search, okay. you know, YouTube, the modeling fee. I can put a link on the Naked Vibe show. So if you go to the podcast website, go to nakedvibes.com and you'll find in the show notes uh, for this podcast with Dale, I'll put a link for you there. Yeah, that's great. And Maudlin is spelled M-A-U-D-L-I-N. Yeah, I'll have it there for you, but you can also search it as well. Um, that's cool. And you know, I, I'm actually going to also repeat in this podcast. So I did a show which you heard with Jamie Perrineau, who played guitar with us and frankly, Scarlet. And I still love this song where we did, um, we did this, uh, a video down in the Trinity River Bottoms in Dallas, which was so much fun. And I, 
I played it on Jamie's podcast because I love the guitar solo and I'm going to repeat it here in this one because I love the drums. I love the way Dale starts this song. It's so tribal and Dale, you look so cool in the video. Oh, that's good. I am definitely, yeah, it was was just so awesome. (laughs) And I'm definitely going to put that video on the site. I'll play this for you. This is called House of Pain.
was House of Pain by Frankly Scarlet when Dale played drums with us. Well, full disclosure, uh, yes, I did play drums with Frankly Scarlet, but that particular song, I joined the band after you guys had done an EP with David Castell and uh, Matt Chamberlain had played on that EP. And oh my gosh! <laughs> right. I forgot about so, that. Yeah, Matt Chamberlain lived in Dallas for several years and uh, was playing with Edie Brickell and the New Bohemians and et cetera, et cetera. Yes. And uh, and so when I joined the band, it was up to me to try to try to emulate Matt's drumming style, which is impossible. Yeah, exactly. Well, you did. <laughs> no, no, you did. Okay, so number one, no wonder it sounds so tribal. <laughs> Love that. Love it. That was Matt Chamberlain. That's right. I'm so glad you remembered that. But number two, I will go back to saying in the video, Dale looks so cool playing the part. <laughs> Thanks. Love I appreciate it. that. And, and hey, you did a great job playing it live. So we'll have to thank Matt for laying it down. Definitely. Right. Naked Vibes. I'm so glad that the time that you spent with us in Frankly Scarlet was inspiring enough for you that you're able to draw from it now. That's that's really cool to hear that. Yeah, well, that the time that I was in Dallas, you know, post college was a really, you know, really formative period for me because I'd spent my, all my time in college being a percussionist, and then upon graduation, decided that I wanted to really play drum set. So I I took a major shift and sold all my percussion stuff and started playing drum set. And then in the midst of all that, I, you know, I, I met up with you guys and the, I had a roommate at the time that I was also doing music and, um, you know, through, you know, through, you, you know, my relationship with your band and, um, and then my, my, my roommate, um, I was doing a lot of recording. Like we were, you know, and, and especially frankly, mm -hmm. Scarlett, we were, we were really serious about our performances and, uh, yeah. you know, we're talking about using click tracks and and really really dialing in the show like i remember you know sitting around mm -hmm. and watching uh you know other concerts like you know of bands that we wanted to eventually tour with or be with you know so yeah and study yeah, that and, yeah uh and so I, I love that sort of audacious dreaming sort of stuff you know um oh yeah oh and and in the middle of that we watched a lot of seinfeld <laughs> Right, and I think there's like what we Rin, called our sign Rin and fest. was part of the deal, maybe. Yeah. Uh, oh my gosh. Yeah. Good times. Yeah. So after Frankly Scarlet, you went on to play with Sixpence None the Richer, and you had so many great things happen with them. Yeah, that was. Um, yeah, it was. A, it was like a dream come true to play with those guys because I'd listened to their demo. Um, my roommate, another roommate I had had, had recorded their first demo, that got them signed, and then. Uh, mm -hmm. then it turned out that the drummer that played on the record wasn't able to tour with them and they were looking for a new drummer. And so I'd been listening to their demo for like a whole year, just thinking this is the coolest stuff I've heard in a long time. Mm -hmm. And so then to, you know, to, to get in the band and, and drive to Austin twice a week from Dallas while keeping up, yeah. I think I was still playing at Frankly Scarlet at the time. Oh, you were? Because I remember you introduced us to oh Matt and Lee, and we all went to dinner and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, you were back and forth. Yeah, and, uh, and so I think my, m me developing my way of approaching the drums and, and leading or, you know, whatever the drummer does in a band, you know, my approach was mm -hmm. really formed by a lot of that, that work I did in Dallas. And then when I got into Sixpence, I was fairly confident about 
my approach and I was able to bring that to play. And um, Do you feel like it solidified you as a stylist? Well, I think one of my, my gifts, and this kind of goes all the way back to my first drumming experiences. Um, I was, one of my first gigs was I was hired to replace another drummer. And all throughout my career, you know, my, my life as a drummer, usually I'm replacing somebody. And, and so it's like, can you sound like this guy, you know? And so, um, (laughs) they didn't know they were upgrading with you (laughs) (laughs) until they got you in there. Right. (laughs) um, So, you know, so going into sixpence was like, okay, cool. You want me to sound like that drummer? Okay. I'm going to try to get into the mindset of that guy. Like it ends up, I look back and I go, oh yeah, you were, I was also interested in acting growing up and did a little bit of that in college, which is a whole nother rabbit trail we can talk about. But (laughs) but (laughs) I look at drumming, you know, for, for what I was doing is fulfilling a certain role. Like, oh, you're supposed to be the indie rock drummer who um, Mm -hmm. maybe didn't go to school, but grew up playing with his friends in the garage. Okay. So what does that look like? Okay. That limits the amount of fills you're going to play whatever, you know, you have to like pretend like I did not get a degree from North Texas. (laughs) And then, um, you know, like, well, and frankly, Scarlett, you know, we had Matt Chamberlain who played on that EP or whatever. So it's like, I've got to try to be Matt Chamberlain and there's no way I can do it. And, and, you know, that led to a lot of just like, uh, you know, never feeling quite good enough. (laughs) Like I already felt that. Oh my gosh. Oh, but we loved you. Yeah. were just one of the favorite drummers that we've ever had working with us. It was yeah. so awesome. Well, thanks. Uh, and then, and, and, <laughs> but in Sixpence, I felt like, oh, cool. I can take what they want and then listen to their influences because they had a lot of different bands that I'd never heard of before that they were influenced by. And so I, I you know, I'd sort of absorbed all that and then kind of came up with my own take on it. And then we went through a lot of different band members. And so, you know, at different points of time in that band we were you know like a a 4 ad band you know really ambient and then we went into like punk rock mode and then we went into like mm-hmm. jazz odyssey mode and jam band mode and then um and then by the time we got to the record that had kiss me and there she goes on it and all that we had had a conversation about wow we're let's let's try to scale it back like could we could we be a tight more of a pop band of just you know Beatles sort of stuff like not bring out the splash cymbals and the you know 16 different drums or whatever you know <laughs> can, can we just like be a really good band you know and <laughs> dial in yeah. uh, so I don't know if we quite got there but um but I know that well you well, you have a platinum album though to yeah, speak and, for it and you you could make the argument that that kiss me is one of those sort of tight pop songs that we had sort of envisioned yeah I think so it's amazing to be able to go through all of those different renditions, those musical renditions within the same band. And, you know, I mean, we did a lot of that in Frankly Scarlet, too. I mean, we had a lot of experimenting. And you remember, record companies didn't make that easy because it was like, well, we don't know what you are. If you would be more country, then we would do Mm -hmm. this with you. If you would be more, and it's like, wow, well, can we just be what we're doing? Why is that not okay? So, you know, you, you have to experiment and grow and, you know, you got to do that 
in a way that ended up bringing you a platinum album with that group. And that's, you know, that's really something that's really an amazing experience that you can draw. Yeah. I I mean, I really lucked out with that band in that it wasn't defined necessarily as solidly as some of the other bands that were out there at the time. And so I got to sort of Mm -hmm. develop my own style and my own take on recording and, uh, and then my background as a percussionist, I think I heard I, I heard music differently. I heard arrangements differently. And I think I brought that to bear in Frankly Scarlet as well. Um, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, uh, yeah. and then it also hit me that, you know, this I mentioned earlier, like the whole audacious dreaming thing. And I remember being in high school hearing mm-hmm. Huey Lewis in the news <laughs> and thinking, that's yeah. amazing. I wonder what it's like. I would love to be on the radio someday, you know thinking that's impossible mm-hmm. and then going to school and you know the first drum lesson I took at school was with this really great jazz uh, drummer named Colin Bailey and he said well who are your favorite drummers and I said well um, I can't think of his name right now but uh, the drummer in Huey Lewis and the News is like my favorite drummer like he's so good he's so clean and great and he was like I'm sorry I don't I've never heard of that band uh, I'm like what <laughs> I mean, they're all You're over like, the I'm radio. Sorry, like, I can't why, take lessons why wouldn't from you? <laughs> you know who that band is? And he's like, well, do you know who Elvin Jones is and Max Roach? And I'm like, I don't, that's why I came to school. I don't know who those people are. Um, and, uh, and so the, then to finally, you know, actually get a song on the radio and that it's, it's still on the radio. It gets so much airplay. It's, it gets nuts. so much airplay. <laughs> It is nuts, and it's awesome. It's fun to hear it in <laughs> in random places. You know, you'll be buying groceries or at a oh, gas yeah. station, and there it is. <laughs> it's just in I'm the playing, elevator. I'm playing drums at yeah. Shell right now. Uh, yeah, I love that. I love it too. Anywhere I go, I'm like, yeah. oh, there's Dale. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's good to have something with that much airplay. So, yeah, awesome. And I know that all these experiences are what has fed into you finally coming around to saying okay, here I am as my own artist. You've always been your own artist, and this is just a new expression of it, the yeah, modeling fee. The, you're correct. I know that you've got to go because you've got uh, some drumming to do this afternoon. And so we will say goodbye with one more of your songs uh, called Blinded. So if you want to lead us out by telling us a little bit about this song before we let you go. Some of my favorite songwriters write from a place of joy and, uh, you know, Buddy Miller seems like he writes from a place of joy. Some of his songs are just like, just amazing. And, uh, or all this stuff is amazing, but, uh, Roger Miller is another guy. Uh, some of his songs are just mm. like, you had to have been in a happy place to come up with those lines. Um, yeah. you know, more recently you've got Marin Morris. She's got some great stuff that I find just, Oh, I can't believe you said that. That's so fun. Uh, like mm. little big town has that song called <laughs> pontoon, which, you know, I heard a story <laughs> about the writers that wrote that song and, and it just started from a place of joy. They were all just cracking each other up. Like, let's write this song about being on a pontoon. And one thing led to the other. So uh, because I'm a big fan of Roger Miller, I thought I'd give him a shout out. I was trying to come up with some starting lines. And so this next song, I I started with uh, something about the seventh son. Uh, So one of his songs he talks about, I'm the seventh son or something like that. My daddy was a pistol. I was a son of a gun. So I took a little bit of that and uh, reference. And then that got me going down a whole rabbit trail of like, well, gosh, who who is this person (laughs) that just walked into the room? And so then it led into this story of a, a guy who fell in love with a girl and they somehow they they robbed a bank together and then they're on the run and 
some things happen and it doesn't end well for the guy, unfortunately. So, uh, and I just thought, well, this is a fun song. And then, uh, as art can do, I had a friend point out to me, you know, he said, do you realize this song's a little more personal than you, you know, than you initially thought? And it's like, oh yeah, uh, I did not see that. I was having so much fun writing the song. I didn't realize it was actually speaking a truth about my, uh, what, what was inside of me. So, uh, wow. so it's still a really fun song to me and, and it's also, you know, kind of poignant on a certain level as well. And it happens to be my, the first song I took a guitar solo on. <laughs> so. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So this is really, um, a, a landmark song well, then for it's sure. It's not much of a guitar solo, but you know, it was, it was my first hey. time laying down a solo on tape. So I was like, all right, well, Hey, listen, whatever. I am impressed with that in a big way, I'll tell you. So I'm just so excited that we've had the time to talk today and to be able to share your new stuff with people, the Maudlin Fee. Um, you're so creative and so open-hearted, and I love you so much, and I'm just so glad that we got to spend the time doing this, and, and we'll have to do it again because we've got a lot more that we can talk I about. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much, Kim, for having me on and um, for... Uh, for the conversation and for your friendship. And I, I love the work that you're doing and Thank please you. keep it up. Uh, it's encouraging to, to me and I'm sure to so many others. So I, I love you. that your voice is out there and that you're doing what you're doing. So thanks again. Oh, yeah, I appreciate so it. Okay. Well, good deal. Well, we'll talk with you again. And this is Blinded by The Maudlin Fee.
This show is sponsored by Rocket U and Kimberly's Rhythmic Movement Meditations. You'll find a link in the show notes on NakedVibes.com for those Rhythmic Movement Meditations so that you can learn how to better shift your energy so that you can transition from fear into more courage so that you can solve problems, have better relationships, and move into more creative, energetic, productive living. You have the freedom to be naked and unashamed about who you truly are. Stand in the truth, love big, and you are aligned with the greatest power in the universe. I'm Kimberly Kane, and this is Naked Vibes. (music) 